0: Before we jump in the text of our study, let's talk just for a moment about fellowship. Fellowship. What you're going to find is 1 John, 2 John, 3 John all have a number of things to do with fellowship. What is fellowship? <clears throat> what do you think of when you hear the word fellowship? All right, love one another. Uh, Morris says a large group of people that are assembling together. Okay, what else? Unity. What else? Edification. Good. What else? Commonality. Commonness of purpose, commonness of life. Yes, absolutely. And each one of those things that you've mentioned factors into uh, what it is that we talk about when we talk about fellowship. Specifically, or excuse me, generally, when we talk about fellowship and when we see the word fellowship used, it's just having something to do with association and commonality. Uh, there's a joint participation maybe in something because of that common bond. When we talk about fellowship in God, what we're talking about in a good definition, simple definition, is that you're seeing somebody who has a spiritual relationship with God. Who is it that decides the basis for fellowship, spiritual fellowship? It's God, isn't it? And because God decides that, and because you and I have that with God, we also have a fellowship, a commonality with one another. I don't know why, but uh, it, it seems to fit whenever we talk about fellowship. I immediately start singing to myself the song, A Common Love. Uh, We sing that in worship sometimes, a common love for each other, a common gift to the Savior, a common bond, holding us to the Lord, a common uh, joy, a common hope. All of those things that he talks about in that song are particular to the definition of fellowship. Depending on what book you're reading in the New Testament, it may be talking about a different aspect of fellowship, but it's just simply seeing a spiritual relationship that somebody has with God. For example, hold your finger here in uh, 2 John, and let's talk about a couple of these together as we uh, mention fellowship. Fellowship could be talking generally about our common life together as Christians. Flip all the way back to Acts chapter 2, where the church begins, and look at what it says towards the end of Acts chapter 2, after the church comes into existence. Those very first disciples uh, uh, heard the message of Christ, the Jews heard the message of Christ and said, To Peter, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, for the remission of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Note down in verse 42, there were about 3,000 that believed and obeyed the gospel message. And down in verse 42, it says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. Fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Here is somebody that God has made in a special relationship with him. And because of that special relationship, now these people are spiritually bonded together. There's a fellowship there. What you're going to find also is that fellowship is refer- referencing specifically a communion between groups, a communion between groups. Uh, somebody said unity. Somebody mentioned that there was a togetherness and one body. Look in the book of uh, Romans, down in chapter 15. Romans particularly deals with this relationship that both the Jews have and the Gentiles have. And bringing them together in one body. You know the uh, thesis statement for the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. What's the last part of that? To the... Jew first and also to the Greek. How God took both Jew and Greek and justified them both through Jesus Christ is the message of the book of Romans and saying there's not a Jew Christian, there's not a Gentile Christian, it's just a Christian, people that have been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. Look down to chapter 15 and verse 26, he's going to talk about a fellowship, an aspect of this togetherness of the Jews and Gentiles, but note the types of terms that he used. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain, the word is koinonia, that's the word we get fellowship. But what's the word yours says? Contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. Here's these different churches of the regions of Macedonia and Achaia, and they are making a common fellowship with the church and the needy saints in Jerusalem. We're going to talk more about that this morning in in our lesson. But as they come together and as they make this contribution, that is a fellowship, a joint participation, a togetherness, a unity of purpose and cause so that the cause of Christ can go forward. Note that fellowship also could be referring to a communion in the body and blood of Jesus Christ, particularly the communion aspect of what we do together. Flip over to 1 Corinthians. We're getting to John. Be be patient. First Corinthians chapter ten verse sixteen, in talking about uh, especially meat sacrificed to idols, about having our consciences uh, uh, in line with what God said, but also the fact that we need to guard what we have fellowship with. Note what he says there in First Corinthians chapter ten verse sixteen: the cup of blessing with we which with we bless is it not the The word is fellowship, koinonia, uh, communion of the blood of Christ, the bread which we break. Is it not the communion, the sharing, the fellowship, the unity in this uh, purpose of the body of Christ? There is a unity that we proclaim, he's going to talk about in chapter 11, when we partake of the Lord's Supper to say this is a fellowship meal. We're fellowshipping with God the Father, we're fellowshipping with Jesus Christ, his Son. But together as Christians, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. That's a fellowship meal, something we share together. It's something that we partake of on the first day of the week, reminding us not only we're bonded to him, but we're also bonded to one another. We gather all together around the Lord's table and we partake of the Lord's supper. It could simply be referring fellowship to a communion because of uh, or a communion in the divine revelation of God. Look over in 1 John chapter 1. We're almost there. 1 John chapter 1. A communion because of divine revelation with God himself. Fellowship. 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John all have to do with something aspect, some aspect of fellowship. As John begins his epistle, look at chapter 1 verse 1. John says, "...that which was from the beginning..." which we apostles have heard, which we apostles have looked on with our eyes, which we apostles have looked on with our hands and uh, our hands have handled concerning the word of life. That life was manifested and we apostles have seen and bear witness and declare to you, Christians, that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we apostles have seen and heard, we apostles declare to you, Christians, that you Christians may have fellowship with us. Mark that, underline it. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write to you that you, Christians, your joy may be full. Koinonia, fellowship, a relationship. The apostles had this relationship with Jesus Christ. Yes, They had a special ministry where they followed him around for three and a half years, and then they spent the rest of their lives proclaiming his gospel, proclaiming the good news of his resurrection and the implications for that for people. The apostles have this revelation of Jesus Christ, and because they had this relationship with him, who was Christ in a relationship with? He was in the relationship with the Father. And as the apostles declared this relationship that they had with Christ, and Christ had this relationship with the Father, and we as disciples, we as Christians, accept the pen, accept the apostles and their word and testimony, so we also, through that, have a relationship with who? With God, with Christ. Our fellowship is with Him because we accept what it is that they said. They said, here we are. We're giving a divine testimony based upon what Christ has done. We had a relationship with Christ. We have a relationship with Christ. You want that relationship as well. You need to understand and you need to follow the doctrine of Jesus, particularly regarding his death, burial, and resurrection. We see this. We want, Christians, your joy to remain full. We want you to have fellowship with us and fellowship with the Father. And because of that, here it is we're uh, we're declaring these things to you what john is dealing with in this instance and especially through 1 john 2 john and 3 john is a doctrine known as gnosticism 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 in its simplicity is somebody denying that jesus christ is the son of god or denying the fact that jesus existed bodily here on this earth fundamentally when it all boils down to that he's not divinity but he's also uh, didn't ever exist really as humanity. It's one of those two aspects that John is dealing with throughout 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And so as a person would come and they might begin to visit with Christians and begin to talk about Jesus and say, well, you know, Jesus never, never really, uh, never really existed here bodily on this earth. Well, that'd be upsetting to somebody's faith. That would be upsetting to somebody and say, well, that means I can't really have fellowship with anybody else. There's not a unity anymore. There's not a commonality of purpose. And John is writing saying, no, 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 no. Christ had that relationship with the Father. We apostles had this relationship with Christ. We faithfully declared him to you so that you can have fellowship with us and we can all have fellowship together with the Father. Note a couple of things that he's going to say here as he concludes this chapter. He says, this is the message which we, verse 5, have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Note that if we say statements, if we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. I say, I'm a Christian. I'm in fellowship with the members of the Church of Christ here at Graver Road. And I have fellowship with the Father, but I'm not following Jesus. What does John say? We lie. We don't practice the truth. We're not walking the way that we ought to. Again, we're getting to 2 John. Stay with me. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light in the light we have fellowship with one another. Note how many times that word has just occurred here in just First John. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us, literally is cleansing, keeps on cleansing, keeps on cleansing us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, there's a second time He says that. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Note, I can say I have fellowship with God. But if my lifestyle denies that because I'm walking according to my own lust, he says I'm a liar, I don't practice the truth. If I say I don't have a sin problem, I don't have any problem that Christ needed to die for, I have no sin, he says we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Here's the third thing we say. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 9 is more an attitude of penitence than it is a specific recommendation every single time we mess up. I have this attitude to say, I need the blood of Jesus. I can't make it on my own. And as I walk in that attitude, and as I walk in that light, his blood continues to cleanse me, but I also continue to have fellowship with God the Father. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Fellowship has to do with accepting the word given by the apostles, and continually walking after Christ, and continually Behaving as a Christian ought to. All right, take a look at 2 John. 2 John, over half the material that's given here in this epistle, John deals with in 1 John. We're going to look just generally um, the question who? Who wrote the epistle? It's accepted that John the Apostle wrote the epistle. We believe that that's the case because of the similarity of terms, the way he talks about uh, different themes that are uh, common all the way from John to 1 John to 2 John to 3 John and even into uh, Revelation. Who did he write this to? Well, we don't know. (laughs) Look at verse 1. Verse 1 says, The elder to the elect lady and her children. This could be one of two things. It could be a dear sister that he had in Christ. It could be a literal person that he's writing this personal correspondence to her to talk about how it is that she's to uh, continue to relate to those who want to have fellowship and that do have fellowship. Or the other thing that it could be is simply a um, a euphemism, like a uh, a reference to um, a particular church, a particular church that uh, and converts, so to the elect lady, to this church and to her children. Again, we don't necessarily know which one it is. uh, There's evidence for both ways. It's my opinion, my belief that he's writing this to a church and just using uh, especially this this kind of cryptogram type of of relationship uh, for the church and for the converts. But note what John is going to say about fellowship, about fellowship. When you come across a verse that has something to do with that fellowship, star it, underline it, write it in your mind, and we'll come back and talk about it here in just a moment. I'm going to give you a couple of things other uh, to look at as we go through. Let's read it together since it's just 13 short verses, and we'll uh, come back and make some comments. The elder to the elect lady and to her children, whom I love in truth. Note that. Not only I, but also all those who have known the truth. Note that. Because of the Truth, note that, which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth, note that, and love. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in, note that, truth, as we've received commandment, note the commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, Not as though I write to you a new commandment, note that, to you, but that which we have had from the beginning. We love one another. This is love that we walk according to his, note that, commandments. This is the noted commandment that you have heard from the beginning. You should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves, that we do not lose the things we worked for, but we will receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you, and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares, there's the word koinonia, in his evil deeds. Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. What words did I tell you to note? What words did you note as you went through here? Truth, five times in 13 verses. What else? Commandment, four times in 13 verses. There's one more that I didn't tell you to note, but it has to do with truth and commands, and that is the word doctrine. Doctrine occurs three times here in 13 verses. A couple of those there in verse 9. Whoever transgresses doesn't abide in the doctrine. What is doctrine? It has to do with teaching. It has to do with instruction. It has to do with being educated in a particular way of life or a particular discipline. Whoever doesn't abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him. As much as 1 John wants to teach us that we have fellowship with Jesus Christ, What 2 John really wants to emphasize, what John is emphasizing, is that we have to walk in the truth. We have to abide in the teaching, in the commandments, in the doctrine of Jesus Christ in order to have this right relationship and continue to have this fellowship with God. There's a relationship, brothers and sisters, between the love that we share and the truth that we declare. Made that up. That, that, that seems like it a preach. I'll have to listen to that again and get that get that down. There's a relationship between the love that we share and the truth that we declare. As we walk and as we say, I love you, brother in Christ. I love you, sister in Christ. I'm so glad we have this fellowship, this commonality declared to us by our Lord, to the apostles, and declared by the apostles to all of us. That's 1 John chapter 1. But as we walk in truth, as we walk in love, There is no difference between the two. Walking in truth and walking in love, in John's estimation, says you can't have one without the other. They're like love and marriage, right? Like a horse and carriage, I think somebody sang it one time. You've got truth and you've got love. What's the relationship between the two? What's that? There's a oneness. Is there a difference between, when we're talking about spiritual fellowship, walking in truth and walking in love? There shouldn't be. What did Jesus say is a declaration of our love for him? If you love me, keep my commandments. John 14, verse 15. I always get these two confused, but 15:14 is, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you, whatever I tell you. And so, John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. What's a way that we declare our love for the Savior? Keeping his commandments. Keeping his commandments. That's exactly right. And as we keep His commandments, as we walk in truth, as we walk in love, as we walk in the doctrine of Christ, as we walk in His commandments, every day we're walking and declaring, I have fellowship with the Father. I have fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ. I have fellowship with Christian believers. And John, in this epistle, in talking about fellowship, there's a couple things and ways that we can outline this. The first three verses just simply seem to be a greeting greeting to this elect lady, a greeting to the sister uh, or this church, depending on who it is that we're talking about. Because of, verse 2, this truth which abides with us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and the Son of the Father in truth and in love. Now, wait a minute. Back up to 1 John chapter 1. You remember that he said, we declare this so that you can have fellowship with the Father and the Son. What they have received from the apostles, they received now, and it had made a difference in their lives to where they have no doubts about their fellowship. And John reinforces that fellowship, that sharing, that commonality in the doctrine of Christ as he introduces this. He makes a word of commendation, verses 4 through 6. I rejoice that I found some of your children walking, where it is continually walking in truth. Walking in truth is not just a one-time action. It's not just something that we do whenever we obey the gospel. All right, I obeyed the gospel, so I'm good. I don't need, there's nothing further that I need to do. We're talking about a lifestyle. We're talking about a manner of and a course of life. I rejoice greatly that I found some of your children continually, continuing to walk in truth as we've received that commandment from the Father. Now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. What are we doing? We're having that commonality. It's not me following Jesus to the exclusion of all others. It's me following Jesus and bestowing his love and his grace and his kindness on other people. We declare him, we, uh, we want you to understand that we need to love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. Love equals walking according to his commandment, verse 6. This is the commandment that you've heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. So we start out with a greeting, we have a commendation, but then there is a word of caution. Many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh, This is a deceiver and an antichrist. How does John define who a deceiver is? He uses a term anti against Christ, against what Jesus is and who Jesus is. That's a deceiver. What other definition does he use for deceiver? Look at your text there in verse 7. Many deceivers have gone out into the world who, as John said, do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. He is still dealing with this doctrine of Gnosticism. This idea that uh, you can deny the humanity and deity of Jesus and still have, well, some kind of relationship with... with a God. You need some kind of special knowledge. But their fundamental point was that Jesus never came in the flesh. Jesus was not God in the flesh. And so based upon that, John says, you encounter somebody like this, you encounter a doctrine like this, what's the relationship? He said, beware, because they're a deceiver. They are anti-Christ. A lot of people don't understand this. Today in our world, you go out into the religious world and you mention the word antichrist. And what are people thinking of? End times. There's a singular individual that's going to rise up. Uh, Tim LaHaye, I think years ago, made popular a book series, Uh, Christian Christian fiction, uh, that talks about um, uh, the end times and how there's going to be a singular ruler that's going to rise up and create an army and all these different things misunderstand the idea of what Antichrist is. Antichrist, brothers and sisters, is not a person, individual. It is a doctrine. It is a belief system. For example, flip back just a page or two to 1 John chapter 2. Take a look at 1 John chapter 2, beginning about verse uh, 18. Little children, John says, it is the last hour and you've heard that Antichrist, there's no definite article there. It's not the Antichrist, it's Antichrist. You've heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists, hold on, I thought there was just one. John says, there are many Antichrists who have come, by which we know that is the last hour. They, who are we talking about? Antichrists went out from us. Here's some that it seems like were Christians that had the fellowship that he was talking about at the very beginning in chapter 1, but now they've gone out from us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us, walking in what? Two things, truth and love. Exactly right. You're using the terms that John uses. But they, the Antichrists, went out that they, Antichrists, might be made manifest that uh, none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I've not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And that no lie, note that, who tells lies according to John? The Antichrist in context, stay in context. "...that no lie, the deceivers, is of the truth. Who is a liar, deceiver, antichrist? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies..." Who are we talking about? Liars, deceivers, or our word, what? Antichrist, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father." Note, he's using father, son, father, son. This fellowship that we define, chapter 1. These things that we hold from the apostles, we hold on to, and we behave in such a way that God is glorified. Uh, This is the promise, verse 25, that he's promised us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you, and who are those people? Antichrist. That puts into context chapter 4, verse 1. Look at 1 John 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but tests the spirits. How do we do that? Whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Dealing with the doctrine of Gnosticism. Here's people that say, no, Jesus was never really a person. There was a particular doctrine in the first century towards the end called Docetism that Jesus kind of only appeared to behave as a ghost. He was a ghost, but he was walking around, appearing to live, and if Jesus only appeared to live, what's the implication? He wasn't in the flesh, and therefore he only appeared to die. Therefore, if Jesus never really died, well, we're back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we are of all men the most pitiable, that Jesus is, if Jesus never died, he was never raised, and therefore our hope is in vain. We can't believe that doctrine. That doctrine is anti-Christ, as John uses the term. We've got to be careful about that. Coming on, uh, because we're running out of time, 2 John, look at verses 9 through 11. This is, I believe, the thesis of 2 John, what he really wants to get across to this elect lady, this individual or this church. Whoever transgresses, here's somebody who sees the right way. Here's somebody that knows what they ought to do, but what they're doing is they're going to literally walk beside that. Here's the path. Here's the blazed trail that the apostles gave as far as the doctrine. Here's somebody that's going to walk out of that, who is not going to stay in that thing. That's the word transgresses. Whoever transgresses and does not continue to abide in the doctrine of christ does not have god he who abides in the doctrine of christ has both the father and the son if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine i have to ask the question at this point what doctrine are we talking about he uses doctrine of christ and the question i have to ask is is this talking about the teaching from christ or is it talking about the teaching about Christ, particularly the death, burial, and resurrection, the uh, inc- uh, incarnation, the, um, uh, the doctrine about Jesus and about his, uh, his nature? Alan makes an excellent point. He said it has to involve both. Is it the doctrine from Christ or is it the doctrine about Christ? The answer, I believe, is yes. (laughs) Because if I'm not going to accept the doctrine about Jesus, about His nature, about His humanity and His divinity, then I'm not going to continue to walk in truth and love and continue in His doctrine, which is from Him. You change the nature of the messenger and you're going to change the nature of the message. That's the truth of the matter. And so here's what John says. You have somebody, first century, they don't have, uh, uh, towards the end, they have started of uh, kind of the process of canonization and putting together the New Testament, we have it, but in the early church, the gospel was taken from city to city by teachers who traveled from one place to another, and a lot of times, you might have somebody that would come in and say, hey, here's the church in Rosenberg, I'm so glad to have found you all. I'm a member of the church too, I'm a Christian. But did you know that Jesus wasn't really a man? Did you know that Jesus wasn't really God's son? Here's a person who wants to come in and they're bringing this false teaching in. What does John say that our relationship is with him? What's the fellowship, the sharing that we can participate in with this person? don't Don't take them into your home. Note, he gives specific instructions there in 2 John 10. Do not receive him. That is, literally, don't take him by the hand or don't take the doctrine that he has in order to use it. Don't grab onto that. Don't hold on to it. He says, don't receive him into your house nor greet him. Literally, don't talk to him. Don't visit with him about this and try and uh, uh, try and ascertain the different aspects or points of that. For he who greets him shares. There's a koinonia in his evil deeds. We don't want to have fellowship with somebody who is denying the doctrine about Jesus and by implication is denying the doctrine from Jesus. There is a limit to fellowship, brothers and sisters. And what we get from second John and adding these things together is there are some people and there are some uh, uh, some that God does not have fellowship with. For example, and let's make these applications as we conclude, who does not God not have fellowship with? God doesn't have fellowship with the devil. He doesn't have fellowship with the devil. Take a look back in a page or two, 1 John 3, um, chapter 3 and verse 8. God doesn't have fellowship with the devil or with his angels. Speaking about practicing righteousness, verse 7, he who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. He who sins literally keeps on sinning. Is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. It's not God working in conjunction with Satan. It's not Jesus Christ and Satan having this relationship together where he says, You be bad cop, I'll be good cop, as one popular religious group teaches. It is that Jesus Christ came and was manifested. He came to this earth. He lived as a man. He died a sinless life. He was rose, rose again on the third day so that he would destroy the works of the devil. God doesn't have any fellowship with the devil or with his angels. Who else does God not have fellowship with? All right, we'll talk about the Antichrist here in just a moment. The Antichrist idea, the Antichrist belief, about the immoral of the world, the immoral of the world. Take a look at Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two. The chapter begins, you, he made alive who were. Dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the mind, uh, and were uh, the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Jump down to chapter 2 and verse 12. Talking about the Gentiles and how he brought them near. He says, at one time, you Gentiles were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Going on and talking about the how the Gentiles conduct themselves there at the end of chapter 2, he's going to mention that there are things that have separated mankind from God and from a fellowship, from a right relationship with Him. Notably sin, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. God has no fellowship with the devil and his angels. God has no fellowship with the immoral of the world. God has no fellowship with the religious of the world. easy for us to understand when we talk about religions like uh, Islam, and when we talk about religions like um, Buddhism, or Hinduism, or those type of things. But just because a person is religious does not mean that they have fellowship with God. Flip back just for a moment to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, stay with me, just a couple more minutes. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, these are the words of the Son of God, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Already, Jesus has drawn a distinction. Here are people who say, Lord, Lord. Here are people who believe that they have a relationship with Jesus, and they want to honor his name, and they want to do what he said, or they want to, uh, to make sure that he knows that they, they feel like they're on his side. He says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord. Uh, you might jot down a cross reference, Luke 646. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? How do we demonstrate our love for Jesus according to John? walk in truth, keep his commandments. John says that a number of different occasions. keep on reading. Verse 22, many will say to me in that day, the same people that said, Lord, 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 have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done many wonders in your name? Here are people that seems like they're making a public appeal and appeal to all of their works, their good works that they've done, and nobody would deny that any of those things are good. But what does Jesus say? Verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Anomia. Law. Without law. Without the authority for what they did. Here are people who may be religious but, and sincere, but are religious and are sincerely wrong. God doesn't have fellowship with them. And we look, and that's a hard pill to swallow, especially when you see so many people that are doing good things and realizing there's so many good works that are going on, and it's hard for us to comprehend. But Jesus says, listen, somebody's going to not walk in truth. Somebody's not going to follow my commandments. God has no fellowship with him. Here's a person that's told to depart. Because they never had Christ. God doesn't fellowship the religious the world. God also doesn't fellowship with those who promote and teach religious error. God doesn't fellowship with those who promote and teach error. And if we can add also, and hurt the church. Take a look at the book of Galatians. Book of Galatians. Paul comes out swinging as he begins in the book of Galatians. Look at chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. He says, I marvel that you are turning away from him. What are they doing? They're not walking according to his commandments anymore. They're not walking according to the truth. I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Which is not another, read gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert, to twist, to change, to their own destruction, Peter would say, who pervert the gospel of Christ. If we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel than what we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches another gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Here's a person who is, by deceit and by destructive, false teaching, is not teaching a matter of opinion, but is teaching something and bringing in something and saying, you need this in order to be uh, everything that Christ wants you to be. Or here's a person who's sinfully trying to divide the church. Just for uh, example's sake, flip over to uh, Galatians chapter 2. You're still there in Galatians. Verse 11, he mentions Peter. When Peter, verse 11, had come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before, certain men came from James, and he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas, even Barnabas, was carried away with their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were, note this, not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of the Gentiles and not as Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? Going on and talking about this, he's mentioning that Peter is promoting a doctrine or promoting a lifestyle that is divisive to the church. And he says he's to be blamed. He was not being straightforward with the gospel. And it was up to Peter at that point to um, to repent of his error and promoting, promoting and teaching that error to the hurt of the church. Who does God not have fellowship with? He doesn't have fellowship with the devil and his angels. He doesn't have fellowship with the immoral of the world. He doesn't have fellowship with the religious of the world. He doesn't have fellowship with those who promote and teach error to hurt the church. But God doesn't have fellowship with We can say those baptized believers who practice sin and immorality to the hurt of the church. There are Christians who live lifestyles of sin and of error to the hurt of the church. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You read there of a man who is... Practicing a type of immorality that is hurting the church, and John says it's, or excuse me, Paul says it's actually reported there's sexual immorality among you. Such sexual immorality is not even named among the Gentiles. A man has his father's wife, and you are proud of this. You're puffed up. You've not rather mourned, but he who has done this thing might be taken away from among you. Why would he be taken away from among you? There's a man who is not walking after the doctrine of Christ. Here's a man who is not walking after love of Christ and love of one another. Here's a man who's not walking according to the commandments of God. And John, Paul says, what? Verse 4. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, by his authority, when you're gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to, not to God, Deliver such a one to what? Satan, for what purpose? For the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Brothers and sisters, fellowship is something a God decides. Fellowship is something that God draws the lines of. And whenever it is somebody chooses, makes a choice, that they're no longer going to walk in love, they're not going to walk according to the commandments of God, they're not going to walk the way that it is they've received this doctrine, and they choose something else. God says that person is out of fellowship. This is not talking about Christians that are struggling but still trying. But God defines the boundaries of fellowship, and we'll begin there next week when we begin to talk about 3 John. Thank you so much for your attention. I hope this has been helpful to you. And uh, we'll have our worship begin here in just a few minutes. Thank you.